This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation. Hello and welcome to the Killer Innovation and the Innovator's Garage, where we're all about ideas, creativity, and innovation, and where we introduce you to top innovators who share with you their stories. Today's guest is a little bit different than uh, our normal guests. Um, I'm one of those innovators that struggles with managing my time and getting my priorities set and making that all work, given uh, everything that I've got on my plate. So actually, from one of the listeners of the show, I got an email that recommended an author, Kevin Cruz. Kevin's got a, a book out. He's a New York Times bestselling author. He's an Inc. 500 entrepreneur. But he's got a new book out called 15 Secrets to Successful People Know About Time Management. And he went off and he interviewed billionaires and Olympic athletes and straight-A students. Well, I always hated those guys in school with the straight-A guys. They always blew the curve for me. And entrepreneurs. Um, you know, with, I've got the day job. I've got the radio show. I've got a lot of things on my plate. And I struggle with time management. And when this when one of the listeners forwarded me information on Kevin. I said, I got to get this guy on the show because one, um, I need this help and I'm sure I'm not the only uh, innovator out there with 10,000 ideas bouncing around in our heads. And how do we translate that in? So with that, I'm going to let Kevin spend a little bit, a few minutes to introduce himself. But Kevin, hey, welcome to the show. I really appreciate you taking the time and joining us today. Thanks, Phil. I always hated those A-plus students as well. <laughs> <laughs> They always blow the curve for you, you know? <laughs> now, so, Kevin, why don't you just take a few minutes, introduce yourself to the listeners, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, you know, I think in brief, uh, I mean, I'm uh, a reformed serial entrepreneur, and uh, I learned the hard way about, you know, time and productivity because when I was young and dumb, I mean, I just, I swallowed the Kool-Aid about everything being about hustle and hard work and you know, all these uh, tech startup guys that would just be pulling all-nighters and just, you know, committed uh, their whole life to their projects. And, you know, my first two business attempts uh, failed miserably when I was in my early to mid-20s. And looking back, it was really no wonder because, you know, I had a never-ending to-do list and I would uh, skip meals to, to get more things done. I would skip sleep to get more things done. And I was running around so frazzled and, and just... Uh, completely not in the moment that looking back, I mean, you know, how creative could I have been as, as an entrepreneur? You know, how innovative could I have been? How good of a boss could I have been? Uh, how, how good could I have been with uh, key accounts and customers when I'm half asleep and always thinking about the next thing? And so, you know, it was through that failure that I really took a pause and realized it's not just about hard work and hustle. And uh, I learned from some great mentors over the years. And, and eventually, you know, I went from, you know, working over 100 hours a week for a million dollar a year business to working less than 40 hours a week on a business that was doing a million a month. And uh, so <laughs> I saw it firsthand that it wasn't all about working all out and that there were ways to kind of um, free up the mind for some better things, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, and that, that was the point when I was you know, reading your book, I mean, right off the bat, one is I give you an A, you get five star rating in my, in my category for books when you, uh, you kind of opened the kimono and, and actually uh, laid out some of the failings that you've had and also specifically around the, the issues around time management. And you introduced 
this concept of 1440. So why don't you talk a little bit about how that whole thing came about and how you use this uh, this concept of 1440. Yeah, it, it's um, 1440, I humbly say, is you know the number that can change everyone's life. And that number represents that there's 1,440 minutes in every day. And as you said, you know, I interviewed almost 300 ultra productive people from the millionaires and billionaires to Olympic athletes, students, and you know, they each had their own. They're not all doing the same, you know, 15 habits. Most of them are doing most of those habits. But the one thing they did have in common was just, you know, they felt in their bones that time is our most valuable asset. I mean, we can lose money and make more money in the future. We can lose our health and get sick, but then regain our health. And <laughs> Phil, this sounds cold-hearted, but you and I could be best friends today and break up tomorrow, and a year from now, we would each have new best friends. But time, I mean, once it's gone, it's gone. And you know, people are always saying, yeah, yeah, I get it. You know, Time's our most valuable asset. But if you really believed it, if you really felt it, and you wouldn't let people, you know, steal your time the way we, we often do. And whether that's, you know, my my thing was always the tap on the door, which is, hey, Kevin, you got a minute? And you know, those never lasted just a minute. Uh, or people saying, hey, I came across you on LinkedIn. You know, let's do a phone call and get to know each other. Let's have a lunch and see see what's up. And we so freely give away our minutes in a way that we wouldn't if someone walked up and said. Hey, got ten dollars? Oh, sure. Here's ten bucks. You know, so that was the one thing. I mean, if you really feel the fourteen forty, and you really understand the value of every minute, then you know, making some changes in our behaviors, adopting some new habits, that stuff comes relatively easily. And um, and that that was it. I mean, I think that you know, most of the people, I mean, they were focused even down to like fifteen minute chunks of their day. It, it was in many cases down to the to the minute in terms of what they valued and how they planned. So, I mean, one of the things you though you bring up, right? Cuz now you've got this 1440. It's this fixed asset. You can't produce more of it. You can't put it on the shelf and save it. It's perishable. At the end of the day it's gone or it actually as the minute goes by it's gone. You can't reclaim it. But at the same time, you're also not someone who's the fan of to-do lists. And in my case, you're always taught, get your to-do list, prioritize your to-do list, check off your little boxes. You feel your sense of accomplishment at the end of the day. What's wrong with the, the to-do list approach? Yeah, Phil, this was the most uh, one of the big surprises and certainly one of the more controversial things that came out of the book. Ultra-productive people aren't using to-do lists. I mean, out of the 300 that I interviewed, I think one or two said that they were um, you know, using the to-do list. And, and so you know, when all of us are running around overworked and overwhelmed – it's because we've been lied to. That's the to-do list is the fundamental teaching in all these time management programs. And you know, research uh, a study just last year that was done showed that 41% of items that are put on to-do lists are never done at all. You know, it's the the doctor's appointment that we really should should have done you know a year and a half ago, and it's still on the bottom of our uh, to-do list. And half of the items that are completed are finished within 60 minutes, one hour. So we're, we're writing it on it and then just crossing it right off. And, you know, the researchers say, you know, so the problem is that when you write things on the to-do list, there's no time bound boundaries to them. So, you know, we tend to do the things that are quick uh, rather than most important. We tend to do things that are easier than, than more important. We tend to do the urgent items rather than the strategically important items. <laughs> And psychologically, you know, in terms of productivity and trying to lower our stress, 
there's something called the Zeigernick effect, which is when our brain knows, when our unconscious knows that we've got some things to do, it, it's you know burning these uh, cognitive cycles and stressing us out a little bit. As soon as we um, write down when and uh, you know when we're going to do the item, even if we haven't completed the item, that Zeigernick effect goes away. So ultra productive people, they're not working from their to do list; they're working from their calendar. And that seems like uh, just such, like a trick or a simple change, but people who have tried it, you know, have have had really uh, profound, you know, uh, feedback in terms of wow, you know, once it's on the calendar, it really is going to get done. Um, and again, more, over and over again, the people I interviewed, you know, Chris Ducker talks about everything goes down, you know, onto the to-do list. Uh, Dave Kirpin, I schedule every 15 minutes of my day. Olympic athletes over and over again, down to the minute. So you can write down your to-do to get it out of your head, but then the idea is to put it immediately into a calendar slot. And that's going to release, uh, lower your stress levels and increase the likelihood that you're actually going to get it done. Well, that's actually an interesting point because, you know, you know my, uh, my executive assistant takes a lot of effort to making sure things get onto the calendar because if it's not on there, it, it doesn't flat out get done. But I hadn't thought about that as a as a true alternative. So I was actually doing, you know, I don't know, you call it double book count accounting of time, right. both on a to-do list and the calendar. So, hey, right. when we come back, what, I, what I'm interested in hearing when we come back from the commercial break here is is talk a little bit about – some of the more you know, the interesting people that you interviewed and what were some of the, the, the hints you've got? Because you interviewed some pretty pretty amazing and some pretty interesting people. And also when we come back, I'd like for you to kind of summarize a little bit about the, the 15 points. What are those and how, how do people take advantage of those? So if you're listening to the show, stay tuned. We'll be, we're going to be right back after we take this commercial break. For listeners of the show, we're making available for free the two-hour Creating Kill Innovations course. All you need to do is text the word INNOVATE to 33444. If you're outside the U.S., send an email to INNOVATE at KillerInnovations.com. Uh, when we come back, Kevin's going to give us some more insight onto the people he interviewed for his book, 15 Secrets Success People Know About Time Management. This is something that all of us that suffer a little bit from our ADHD innovators uh, side need to take, uh, take a listen to. So stay right there. We'll be right back. I'm Phil McKinney. And this is Killer Innovations. Biz Talk Radio. This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation. I'm Phil McKinney, and welcome back to Killer Innovations, to our second segment with Kevin Cruz. Kevin's a New York Times bestselling author and Inc. 500 entrepreneur. We're talking about his new book, 15 Secrets Successful People Know About Time Management, and specifically for those of us in the innovation game, how do we get more done with the ideas rolling around in our head? Uh, Kevin, let's pick up where we left off. I'm particularly interested in hearing or listening to you share a couple stories about some of the more interesting people you interviewed and what were some of the surprises that you had in those discussions? 
everyone's always asking about is uh, Mark Cuban, you know, who uh, I asked, and I asked all these people the same simple question. You know, just and by the way, just so you know, just you know, just full <laughs> disclosure, I know Mark. So, <laughs> well, you you might have heard the same advice already. That he, uh, you know, he he basically came out and said, um, "Listen, never take a meeting unless someone's writing you a check." <laughs> and you know, this is the the interesting thing about. It. I mean, that's typical, you know, a quip or a snarky wisdom from uh, from Mark. But out of the seven billionaires that I was able to interview, uh, three of them, you know, answered this wide open question of just give me some time management advice. What? Give me a piece of advice about productivity. Three of them directly talked about meetings. So, you know, Mark's saying, you know, never take a meeting unless someone's, you know, writing you a check. Um, Dustin Moskovitz, who is one of the co-founders uh, of Facebook and is now uh, co- uh, one of the co-founders of Asana, no- new software company. He has what he calls no meeting Wednesdays. So the other four days a week, you know, anything goes. But there's one day a week every Wednesday where at Facebook and at Asana, there's no meetings. It's for making things. It's for thinking. It's for creativity. It's for getting stuff done. But it's not for meetings. Um, Nate Blacharzik is one of the co-founders of Airbnb. He said something similar. He says, I try to reserve the mornings for real work. I, it's hard to get focused, focused after getting bombarded by meetings. And even uh, in some of my research, I didn't get a chance to interview all of these people, but what came back on the meeting theme over and over again is, first of all, like Mark says, I mean, avoid them at all at all costs if possible. But if you're going to do them, don't assume they've got to be 30 minutes or an hour long. You know, when, when whether you're using the, uh, the Google Calendar or the Outlook Calendar, you know, it sort of is – comes with a default setting. You, you schedule a meeting and it's 30 minutes or 60 minutes. You can change that default. You don't have to be tied to that. Uh, Marissa Mayer of Yahoo is famous for these literally five-minute long meetings. You've got five minutes on her calendar to get in and get out. Uh, Steve Jobs, of course, was legendary for doing these walking meetings where he would just walk around um, as you spoke to him. Richard Branson uh, recently gave that as a tip. He says, if you have to do a meeting, do standing and, and walking meetings. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't fishing for any particular direction or answer, but a lot of these people went and talked about the evils of, of meetings. Yeah, it's an, it's you know when you think about those things that kind of can become the real time suck on your calendar, right? You start a meeting and five minutes into it, you know that this is not gonna you're not gonna get the information or you're not gonna get you're not getting any value out of that. And then you want to try to be polite, but sometimes you get locked into okay, this is scheduled for thirty minutes or it's scheduled to an hour. And there's some people out there that will you know go ahead and cut the meeting short and be rude about it. But I think it's good advice, you know. You, know, you can always extend the meeting. It's hard to That's cut right. a meeting once it gets started. Yeah, um, exactly right. So you boiled it down. You've got these 15 cigarettes that you write about in the book. So how, how, do, how can we expect to, be, to remember these, and how do you apply them? What are these 15? Yeah, the um, here's fifteen is a lot for anybody to remember, including myself. And I wrote the book, so you know I boiled it down further. Uh, you know, when I categorized these different habits that they all all did, and I came up with a system called E3C. E stands for energy, and the three C's stands for capture, calendar, and concentrate. So E, the energy part. Uh, this was another uh, big surprise, you know, from from these interviews. I mean, we all 
kind of know. You know, you can't make more time, as you said, Phil. Right? It is what it is. Um, so what you're really trying to do is to increase your focus and productivity with the time that we have, and that starts with our energy. And you know, at the simplest level, we all can think back to when physically we were feeling horrible, whether whether it was after a night of uh, too much socializing <laughs> or, or maybe, um, you know, we've got the flu or a bad cold. You know, when we're physically down, we're just, we've got the brain fog and we're slower. And so energy, there's some simple habits that ultra-productive people are doing. Um, it's It's things like drinking tons of water to stay hydrated, not skipping meals because your brain needs glucose to function uh, very well. Um, and so it, it's the, the things that we know we should be doing, but don't always do. Again, when I was young and dumb, I would hop out of bed in the morning, uh, race out without eating any breakfast because I wasn't hungry. I thought I was saving calories. I'd stop at the 7-Eleven and grab a cup of coffee. And that's all I would have until one or two o'clock when I'm totally famished, finally break for lunch, but then grab a slice of pizza and you know eat it back at my desk or something like that, because again, I'm, I'm thinking I'm saving time. And study after study just shows when it comes to creativity, productivity, focused attention, you know, your brain needs these little doses of glucose throughout the day. Um, we can't be starving ourselves like that. And the, uh, the three C's that, that capture is talking about you know using a notebook, whether it's paper or digital, I prefer the, the paper ones, to just get everything out of your brain, out of your mind, and, and written down. Um, notes for meetings, but also your ideas, and even your to-dos. To but the trick is not to work from the to-do list, but to transfer those to-dos onto the calendar, which is the second C. And the, the, the easy part is to put things on the calendar. The harder part, Phil, is to protect that time. So calendar, that second C also means, you know, uh, learning to say no to protect that time, not saying yes to everything that comes your way. And the, the final C, concentrate, has to do with these working jam sessions. Get rid of all the notifications on our phone and email. Shut off, uh, close that door. And set that timer again, whether it's a 25-minute you know, Pomodoro technique or an hour-long technique, we just work in a concentrated jam session and then pop up and do a break to kind of recover from that. So E3C is sort of the simplified version of what people are doing. Yeah, well, and as you're sitting here describing it, and I'm looking at all of them saying, let's see, I violate the energy, I violate the capture, <laughs> I violate the calendar, and I violate the concentration because I let everybody and their uncle interrupt me. So <laughs> I, I'm betting a zero here based on uh, based on the uh, you know the, what you say are the, the highly successful people out there. So uh, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about some of those my specific experiences and get your advice because I'm sure the listeners have the exact same experience and, and the struggles they have, like in procrastination and like also in prior, prioritization. So stay right there. Uh, if you're list for listeners for this show, we want, we're making available that free two-hour course and text the word innovate to three three four four four. Stay right there. We'll be right back after we pay a few bills with our sponsors. I'm Phil McKinney, and this is Killer Innovations. Biz Talk Radio.
This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation. I'm Phil McKinney, and welcome back to this segment with Killer Innovations. Today's guest is Kevin Cruz, a New York Times bestselling author and Inc. 500 entrepreneur. We're talking about his newest book, 15 Secrets Successful People Know About Time Management. As we were wrapping up the last segment, Kevin, you shared with us this concept of E3C, which kind of wraps up the, the 15 traits, which is energy, capture, calendar, and concentration. And I was making the joke about the fact that uh, I fail at all four of those uh, <laughs> when I do my own look at myself. Um, but one of the things that I struggle with, and you know, if you asked my wife and my kids, they would uh, all their hands would shoot up, is, is that I'm actually a horrible procrastinator. I learned this in school. I find myself I work better under a very tight time constraints, so I artificially let the time constraints creep up on me. Am I unique, or is that a common problem? And what are, what's your advice for someone like me? Well, Phil, it is common, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a problem. So, you know, we all all humans procrastinate uh, to some degree at some times. You know, this this simple idea of putting off something that's probably more important. Uh, for something that's maybe less important but more pleasurable in the short term. And I think that uh, there's positive procrastination when, as exactly as you described, when you understand how you work and can increase your productivity in those bursts, knowing, and I'm, in a, I'm uh, very similar, you know, I, I, I used to struggle with it and think, okay, I've got to be working on this book or paper or project during all these hours, and I'd make very little progress. I would have writer's block if I was trying to write and then I finally understood, okay, I'm the guy that's going to just become super productive the day before that thing is due or the two days before that thing is due. So I think it does come, you know, it does come down to knowing thyself in terms of some of those work patterns and when uh, that focus mechanism is going to kick in. Now, there's other ways to, uh, if there's negative procrastination, where, you know, whether it's uh, uh, you know, the, the classic things of, of goals we set for health or working out or whatever it might be, um, you know, they say that the psychologists talk about that we have this time dissonance. You know, we always uh, think we know what we want to do in the future. We, you know, we have the best of intentions, but then when the future arrives, we tend to do something else. So, you know, today is Sunday and uh, I go grocery shopping on Sunday and I'm going to, you know, buy lettuce and carrots and all these healthy vegetables because this is the week I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to eat salads for dinner. I'm going to lose a few pounds. But then, of course, you know, I compete, completely do this over and over. It'll be Wednesday night, Thursday night. I, it's late. I'm hungry. Time for dinner. I don't want to take the five minutes to make a, a cold, boring salad, so I grab the, the frozen burrito instead. Um, because in that future self is actually the enemy of our best self. We don't always do things that we think uh, we should do. So in terms of productivity, the things we really need to get done and don't want to do a positive put put off, we need to battle our future self. We need to think about, okay, so... I need to work on that strategic plan tomorrow morning. What is, how is my future self tomorrow going to jeopardize me? Well, you know, Kevin, that future Kevin's probably going to show up. First thing he's going to do is open up emails and start processing emails. Okay, well, knowing that, I'm going to promise myself tomorrow I will not open email 
until after I've worked on that strategic plan for two hours. And maybe I'll check email tonight to take a little bit of that pressure off, but that's you know a commitment I'm going to make to myself. Um, I might say, oh, the future Kevin is going to you know, let someone tap on his door in the office and, and give away some minutes. And next thing you know, there's a half hour that hasn't been worked, you know, on that strategic plan. Well, maybe I'm going to combat that problem by working, you know, from home or working at a library, at a Starbucks or somewhere else. So these are just silly examples, simple examples of how, you know, we need to think about what is going to derail us tomorrow, next week, next month and combat that uh, even now. I mean, that's just one way to handle some of that procrastination problem. Yeah, and you you bring up a good point, right? It, we we in today's world we get caught up in the uh, digital distraction, right? You know, yes. it's the email, it's you know checking Facebook, you know getting text messages. So, is your advice then that we should you know kind of go into a little bit of a cone of silence? I think this ties back to what you call concentrate. Yeah, that, that's exactly right, Phil. I mean, and again, this was something that um, all the ultra-productive people were, were telling me they do, and yet I, I wasn't practicing it, and I don't see it in the, in the everyday world. I mean, you know, technology, it is, of course, powerful, empowering. It helps us to be more productive, but it can also be a huge distractor. And the first thing we need to do is to realize our own culpability in the problem. I mean, when we go and check Facebook, we go and even check email, uh, whenever we get a hit on something we like, you know, whether it's a, a funny cat video or even if it's a, a work email, but it's something that, you know, is easy to take care of and we feel helpful or something like that, you know, it releases a little bit of dopamine. I mean, we get that kick from, from that answer. And so, you know, we go away from it and we get called back to it. So all the ultraproductive people, they're, they are scheduling everything, including email processing time, social media time. Um, the number I heard uh, a lot was 15 minutes, but sometimes, you know, depending on what their role was or if kind of their, if they're on online market or sometimes their, their life is a lot more on, uh, on social media, but they, it's still scheduled. I mean, it's, it's 30 minutes in the, in the morning, 30 minutes at lunch, whatever it might be. Um, and it is completely shut down otherwise. No notifications on at all. You know, you think you can multitask, but our brains don't work that way. So every time there's a buzz or a ding, um, you know, our, our attention is momentarily pulled to it. Even if you don't go and read that email, your mind is interrupted. So that's part of that concentration. I think it was um, one CEO uh, told me, I think it was uh, Stephen Wastner, he, you know, he called them jam sessions, which I really resonated with me. He says, you know, get yourself a clock, whether it's a digital clock or a physical clock, and uh, you pick the time, 25 minutes, 50 minutes, and just shut everything down except the item you're working on and just sit there and do it. And it feels awkward at first, but you kind of develop that habit. You develop that strength, that discipline. And then, of course, when that timer goes off, you pop up, drink some water, walk around, do a quick email or social media check if you have to. But the idea is to try to um, stay away from that while you're doing your most important work. Hmm. I mean, I think it's a uh, definitely have to try that. (laughs) 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 You know, the challenge I've got is, you know, like a lot of people, right? I've got my day job plus, you know, now with this radio show, I have my my weekly writings I need to do. I run two nonprofits on top of that, and I'm in the middle of working on the, the second book. So it's the prioritization piece, I think, is part of that biggest challenge, right? 
Yeah, and that, that is, um, you know, that's sort of the, the number two habit that uh, I, that jumped out at me that everybody had was being crystal clear on their most important task in any given day, their MIT. And, and the idea is to really uh, uh, declare how you're going to win the day. I often will say, all right, well, how am I going to win the day before noon? You know, what's my most important task? And then to work on it as early in the day as possible. Uh, the the uh, behavioral psychologist, Dan Ariely, and he said, we're cognitively at our best about an hour after we wake up and for about a two-hour to three-hour window. So depending on when you get up, uh, you know, most of us are at our sharpest from like 8 to 10 or from 9 to 11. And the sad thing, Dan says, is that, again, most of us, what do we do when we pop into our office? Well, we start to do the easy stuff. We clear through email we read the industry news, we sign the expense reports that you know materialized on our desk overnight, and that's the wrong thing. He said that is when you want to go into your zone, that cone of silence, I like that, Phil, and, and focus on your number one task. Now, the trick is to know, so what is your MIT? And it's not always the same thing. I mean, you know, I'll use uh, as an author, you know, my simple experience, if I'm writing a book, most days, my MIT is to put my butt in a chair for those two hours and put words down, you know, on the screen, you know, to be typing at the keyboard. Once that book is done, well, now I'm in marketing mode. So my MIT isn't to sit down and write. My MIT might be to, to schedule interviews or to, to uh, um, do, some, do some outreach to influencers or other marketing things. But the idea is to be very clear, like, what's my biggest goal and what can I do today to advance it? Hey, Kevin, I want to thank you for taking time, joining us today, sharing some of those uh, time management secrets. Um, if people want to get a hold of you, how do they find you? Easiest thing is to go to the uh, the book's website, 15timesecrets.com, 15timesecrets.com. And we'll have links in the show notes for uh, the listeners to check out. So uh, thank you very much, Kevin. Stay with us. We're going to come right back. We've got a killer question that's really going to hack your brain, get you to really think differently about how your customers are going to be thinking five years in the future. I'm Phil McKinney, and this is Killer Innovations on the BizTalk Radio Network. BizTalk Radio. This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation. Welcome back, and let's get ready to exercise your creative muscle. So what is this week's killer question? This week's killer question is, is what is the process used by my customer to discover my product? How do customers really go out and find your product? Do you, there's this concept that's bouncing around in marketing circles called a digital twin. Do you have a digital twin? The concept came out of Yelp, but it's becoming really this catchphrase, kind of another one of these uh, buzzwords that's bouncing around. The idea is that dedicated users of sites like Yelp eventually notice that there's other users whose taste, interest, and favorites match their own. 
these digital twins that you don't know them in a traditional sense. Uh, they more likely never communicated directly with each other, but are but a link forms as one person realizes that the other seems to like or dislike the exact same brand, the exact same restaurants as they do. Both twins taste align across a number of sites. They find them not only on Yelp, but on other sites. And people start to trust those twins to the point where they bypass the process of reading multiple reviews and simply check to see what their twin thinks. And eventually people start to value their digital twins' opinions even over their own. Now recently I was looking for a new barber since my previous one made the inconvenient decision to retire. How dare he? I went on Yelp and found a local husband and wife shop that had more than 500 five-star reviews. Now I showed up one Saturday for a haircut. Sure enough, the line was out the door and the service was absolutely fantastic. Now, I've never met any of these reviewers, but my instinct was to trust the collective voice of the group. Now, this is a huge change from the old days when I would have probably gone into work and asked my buddies in the office for a recommendation. The power of anonymous point of view has been amplified and is incredibly hard to control. Customers used to be much more influenced by sales guys and making the big purchases, but now an individual can walk into a store already sold on what brand and item they want, even if it's an item that they have no real experience with, no knowledge, don't even know how to use it, the reviews will influence that. So what's the end result? There's been a huge swing in this whole idea of influence. Individuals' voices of happy, or even more so lately, dissatisfied customers has been amplified way beyond the power of, of an individual voice in the past. And the brands have lost some control, and advertising or sales reps are losing their ability to influence the sale. Now, this is a huge shift from how people used to be swayed in making the buying decisions. Customers are relying on sites like Yelp and finding their digital twins and other forum sites because they want to reduce the bias in the purchasing decisions. You know, we're all savvy to the way advertising or paid product placements can influence us to buy things that may not be right for us. We are purchasing decisions more heavily towards those anonymous voices because we think that doing so will help us make a better decision. We want our decisions to be less about who had the best advertising campaign and more about who has the best product. Granted, most users are sophisticated enough to understand how these review sites work. A small number of highly positive reviews are a less accurate reflection of the actual experience of buying from the store than a large number of mixed reviews. Once you get north of 50 or 100 reviews, the sheer volume of reviews makes it hard for the, the company or the product guys to really game the system. And users know that they can throw out these extreme reviews. And most recently, for instance, in the case of Amazon, Amazon has gone through and tried to find fake book reviews and knock those reviewers off the site to get rid of this bias. Now, the very low and the very high scores are most likely our biased, and you can cancel those out. I typically don't look at the, you know, the guys who are five and write, you know, 20 paragraphs on why they love the book, or I don't take the ones that are one stars either. Now, once you take these extremes are gone, you're left with a more meaningful and less corruptible review. Now, the key element of using a digital twin is to find that one person who is so central to a network that they sway the opinions of others. Or perhaps, more interestingly, explore how you can replicate the experience of a digital twin in a more controllable, less organic state. How can you give your users the feeling that your product is approved of and supported by someone whose taste is trusted by the crowd? 
Digital twins are the next logical progression from using celebrities to promote products. Now, these anonymous voices can become highly targetable and very localized micro-celebrities who have a sense of authenticity that comes from social media they use. So this is the Instagram people, the people on YouTube, they have big followings. They're not named from a celebrity perspective, but they have a following. So how will you use them to your advantage? So the key questions for you to think about is, how are your customers influenced to buy your product? Is it really your advertising? Is it really your social page? Or did they hear from somebody else? You got to go out and ask them. So how are your customers influenced to buy your product today? And then how will your customer discover and select your product in five years? Because the way it works today is not the way it's going to work five years from now. And how could you get your customer to buy your product if you stopped paying commission or buying advertising? If you, paid, if you didn't have another sales rep, if you didn't pay for any advertising, no Google ads, no Facebook ads, how would a customer buy your product? So get your notebook out. Let's exercise that creative muscle. Set aside just 10 minutes. Just We just talked about time management in the previous three segments of the show. Take the 10 minutes, block out, don't check your email, and sit down and crank out those ideas. So to stay up on everything going on here at Kill Innovations, text the word INNOVATE to 33444. If you're outside the U.S., you can send an email to innovate at killinnovations.com. Don't forget, check out killinnovations.com. It's the place where you'll find all the information about Innovation groups such as the Kill Innovations group over on LinkedIn. And so who are the upcoming guests? You can listen to the past shows and catch up on the show notes where we post all the links. Also, don't miss out on the great shows over on BizTalk Radio Network. You can visit biztalkradio.com. While you're there, you can grab the mobile app, both for iOS and Android, and you can listen to Kill Innovations Live. And you can also catch up on all the shows on the BizTalk Radio Network. If you know of an innovator who has a story that others should hear, drop me a note. The previous guest on today's show, Kevin Cruz, an author, was actually recommended by a listener. If you've got a recommendation, drop me a note. Again, phil at killinnovations.com. Today's show was engineered by Brandon. Always doing a great job in the studio, making sure uh, we get uh, all the, the stuff done that we need to get done to put the show out every week. And I'd greatly appreciate that support. I'm Phil McKinney. Don't let the innovation critics get you down. Keep on innovating. And as we learned from the earlier segment with Kevin, we all need to do a better job of that time management to increase our productivity, to get our ideas out there, and change the world. We'll talk with you next week. Bye-bye. The opinions you hear on BizTalk Radio are those of the hosts, callers, and guests, and do not necessarily reflect those of this station, BizTalk Radio, its management, or advertisers. The information on BizTalk Radio does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or service. If you have any questions about BizTalk Radio, contact us at 817-274-1609 or at biztalkradio.com. BizTalk Radio. 